0: that tenacity and constantly creating a sense of urgency I think end up being those 10x people because when I'm even on the receiving end if someone's calling me out and be like you know you said you delivered that thing at five o'clock you didn't do it what's up I have nothing but respect for that person I might be like yeesh you know might be cringy that I did I didn't do what I said I would do but those are the people that I want to be around those are the people that are going to create outsized results so you know recruiters out there There's nothing to apologize for ever when it's in the name of delivering business results.
1: That was Y Combinator, Head of Leadership and Executive Talent, Brendan Brown. And in this episode, it was great to sit down with Brendan and talk about his career path and growth across a range of companies on the recruiting side, and then moving over to venture capital, what he learned along the way, what he thinks of the current recruiting market and advice for first-time heads of people working with early-stage founders. So I'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, powering fast-growing companies like Shopify, Rubrik, and Sneak automate messages across the employee journey so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way from onboarding to becoming a new manager and more pin helps companies communicate at scale go to pinhq.com for more information that's pynh reinvent communications for the distributed workforce and now onto the show Hey, everyone. Welcome to Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today I'm really excited to be joined by my friend, Brendan Brown. Brendan is the head of leadership and executive talent at Y Combinator, former head of global recruiting at LinkedIn, and really has a career full of lessons and experiences that I'm excited to dig into with him in this episode. So, Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah,
0: let's, let's start with an introduction. Yeah, it, it's awesome to be here. It's great to, to see you, and it's great to see you doing so well. Thanks for the invite. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I have made the transition from uh, TA operator at scale to VC talent guy, uh, making things happen with much earlier stage companies and having a blast.
1: Yeah, so there's there's a lot for us to, to kind of dig into in, in both of those roles. But I want to I usually start at the beginning in these episodes, and you know, you started as a recruiting manager at Sapient. To kick off your career, and you've been in kind of recruiting and HR your entire career. Why recruiting? You know, what, what originally drew you to the field to begin with?
0: Uh, I studied communications in Spanish, moved back home to Boston, live with my parents, where they uh, explained to me that there's going to be a lot of responsibility, rent to be paid, and so on. So I immediately thought, I, I need to move out of my parents' house, and uh, I really want to be on my own. Um, and I fell into recruiting. There was uh, a friend of the family who said, hey, you might make a really good headhunter. I was like, I don't even know what that is. What's a headhunter? Uh, and they had me uh, meet some of their uh, folks who are in the business. And there was a woman um, named Sherry Borstein who hired me, uh, to take me under her wing to kind of show me show me the rope. So I fell into it. I had some immediate pure luck success. know get a a few placements that kind of thing or it's just like it just happened to be uh and that put some wind at my back and that i never never looked back at that point so that was that was the start of it it was an accident i never planned on getting into recruiting i had no idea what it was
1: yeah i mean look my my story is the same uh kind of falling into it by accident i think that's actually not that uncommon of a story especially for people who've been you know doing this as long as we have following your career path you know you spent some time uh obviously started at you were a recruiting leader at Microsoft um, and recruiting leader, obviously at LinkedIn. But in between, you were ahead of people at Deem, and I'd love to learn more about that kind of, de- you know, detour plan, maybe unplanned. Like, were you were you intentionally pursuing the CPO path when you went to Deem? Did it just kind of happen? Did you did you miss recruiting and kind of want to get back to that at LinkedIn? Like, walk me through that whole transition.
0: It was. It's a good question. I I went. To, I was at Microsoft, leading recruiting for Microsoft Research, which was a phenomenal, just inspiring job. Not, no type of recruiting I've, I've experienced like it. It was. If you're, you're you know we're recruiting people who are either going to go be a tenured professor at Stanford, or CMU, or MIT, or they're going to go do industrial research at Microsoft Microsoft's Research Lab, which is amazing. But I made a very conscious decision I wanted to get sort of back into startup land and and left intentionally and uh, joined Deem, which had raised $100 million, was scaling, scaling, scaling. I was the head of recruiting. And then it was sort of like battlefield promotion to lead uh, HR, which is not really my intention, but I looked at it as a growth opportunity to leap in with both feet. Uh, and it was really, really tough. I mean, it was uh, I relied a lot on uh colleagues at other companies, people that actually VCs put me in touch with to, to help help out sort of craft what I was doing. As an example, I remember there was a, it was a short notice thing. And I was like, you need to prepare a deck uh, compensation strategy and benchmarking for the board. Um, and I remember that weekend, it you know, just freaking out being like, I have really no idea what I'm going to do. So it's really kind of the the generosity of sort of the network that helped kind of get me through that time. So it was incredible learning experience. It was very hard, uh, made a lot of mistakes, but learned probably more in a very short period of time than I have at any other company going through that experience. And when I you know left there, going to LinkedIn, I mean, it's kind of weird to use these terms now, but I often call it the most meta job in sort of all of recruiting, because you're the recruiting guy at LinkedIn. I was more than happy to dive 100% back into recruiting.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, you spent 11 years at LinkedIn, which, uh, you know, as we look at career spans today, that's like a couple of lifetimes at one company. And you had a lot of different roles there. But you, the the growth trajectory of the company from when you came to when you left was exponential. And I'd love to get your perspective. Like a lot of people are in TA leadership roles or even people leadership roles. Uh, and they're in that, you know, kind of all, you know, all healthy startups are are scaling. They're growing um but you know we often use the term hypergrowth that's that's a subset right of that broader kind of static growth when you hit that period where you're like this and you're going up that's a very unique experience and i'd love to get your perspective like obviously you you've you've been through that you led that you led the recruiting engine for that at linkedin you know what was the company size when you started what was the company size when you left and then maybe if you if you reflect back on that experience what's one thing that you wish you knew at the end, when you're kind of you know beginning that that you know straight up kind of curve, uh, what's one thing you wish you knew and you kind of embedded into the foundations of your TA operations then at the beginning, that maybe in hindsight you would have done?
0: So I started when the company was, I think it was like eight or nine hundred people, something like that. And then when I left, it was like 16,000 and change. So, in terms of kind of lessons learned and and reflections, I would have been much clearer upfront about expectations, what I was going to do, like really sort of bright line expectations with all stakeholders and like not apologize for what I thought was necessary, which at that point, I mean, it's really two things. It was hire engineers and it was build my team. Like we could see the horizon, like this is gonna be a much bigger company. I don't know if it's gonna be 5X or 10X, I don't know how big. Um, So therefore I probably should have only put my time into like, is the engineering stuff on track? And am I recruiting my butt off to build out the, the, the TA team, in particular, TA management? I needed to create as much leverage as I possibly can. And I spent probably too much time thinking we could deliver everything um, in a desire to be, you know, probably to get a pat on the back, frankly. I mean, it was sort of my ego involved and whatever my insecurities were that I need to deliver and get a pat on the back, where I just should have been like, we can do two things. We can hire engineers and I'm gonna build up my team. Anything else is below the line. So that's something if you know, if you're out there and and you're thinking about or in a TA leadership job, that would be my strong advice because everyone around the table is generally not ha- not that happy with recruiting at that stage because it's almost in it's almost inhuman to keep up with the demand when things hit that kind of exponential growth curve. So part of the only way to do it is create really, really bright line expectations, ha- hash it out if people want to battle you on it. You know, bring in the right people who can help back up your expectation setting, but it's, you know, so critical. Otherwise, I mean, you're busy as it is. Otherwise you have no life because you're just, all you're doing is trying to keep up and, you know, you need to be sort of a little bit more surgical on what you can do. I mean, what
1: is your, obviously the, the recruiting market right now is unlike anything we've ever seen. Like, what's your take? It's almost, you know, as somebody, you know, we both been kind of in recruiting for, Decades at this point between us, like there's never been a market like this for recruiting or HR or anything. But what what is your perspective when you just see the levels of demand uh, out there right now for recruiters?
0: I mean, I've, I've got an interesting vantage point um, being sort of in, in VC land now because you know hear about all, all these, you know, just where the money's flowing and the yeah. cost of capital has been like at or near zero, but we'll soon we'll soon change. So everyone's got to fund, you know. The people raising bigger and bigger funds, putting in stuff or more money in early stage, even huge PE firms putting money into early mid stage companies. So it would only make sense that in turn that goes to a lot of headcount, which in turn means that like you got to have recruiters. So I mean, the supply and demand dynamic is not, is not sort of that foreign at the moment. But w- what I think it means is that the people that are strong can really differentiate themselves through these experiences, um, which I think is really, really, really unique. I mean, my advice to people is go take the biggest opportunity you can, one that scares you a little bit uh, and, and go work at it. If you're a good person who has potential, I mean, not experience, but the potential to learn, new skills, deliver, you're curious, um, I think now is the time to take on as much experience as you can, because that will be that's ingredient for transformation. That's the guarantee. You put in a couple, three years, Year three, you will be a different human being. You'll be a different, different professional. But that, you know, the dynamic is obviously driven up compensation and, and things like that. I don't know where that's gonna all uh, land. But I would say stick to your knitting in terms of what you have probably always done. Find a values-based company that aligns with who you are. Um, find a great boss, great mentor. That's humongous. Find a company that has a huge TAM that the company's going to chase after. Dive in, even if the company doesn't become the next, you know, big big thing the experience in and of itself will will literally, I think can accelerate you, you know, years beyond where you're at.
1: I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, there, there's been discussions for years around the concept of like 10X engineers, uh, right? Uh, are there 10X recruiters uh, from your perspective? And if so, like when you think about the very, you know, if that does exist or maybe a version of that, right? Just like recruiters that just operate at a different level than kind of the, the core industry, what makes them different? What, what makes them so productive?
0: I think there are 10X uh, recruiters for sure. Footwork, you know, use whatever analogy you want. I mean, you could use a sales analogy. You could like literally use like footwork and for a big man in the NBA or something like they practice this fundamental stuff, which is filling the funnel, converting, creating great experience and having ridiculously outsized sense of urgency and creating a sense of urgency where there isn't one. So if, you know, I'm working with you and like you're a great partner, but you're not that urgent, I need to find a way to create that urgency with you, which might be like, Lars, I'm concerned with the pace we're going here. You know, we get together, we got to deliver. It's it's not happening. You're not, you're rescheduling interviews, your feedback is weak. I mean, it's the people that have that tenacity and constantly creating a sense of urgency, I think end up being those 10x people. Because when I'm even on the receiving end, if someone's calling me out and be like, you know, you said you deliver that thing at five o'clock, you didn't do it, what's up? I have nothing but respect for that person. I might be like, "Eesh," you know, it might be cringy that I, did, I didn't do what I said I would do, but those are the people that I wanna be around. Those are the people that are gonna create outsized results. So, you know, recruiters out there, there's nothing to apologize for ever when it's in the name of delivering business results. Um, obviously, people might have personal things going on. I mean, you need to be a human being, but when it comes to like driving urgency, for outcomes, the more comfortable you can be around that, and the more you can even develop your own language around that. You know, I use the term "I'm concerned" a lot, which is just a little, just a little nugget to throw out there. Just call you and be like, "Hey, Lars, I'm I'm concerned," and you might be like, "Oh my God, what's he concerned about?" And then we can really get into him, like, "What's concerning you?" Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna be wh- where we need to be at the end of the court. I'm deeply concerned about it, and all of a sudden, you and I have this deeper connection. And so, those are a few things I'd say people who want to be 10X recruiters should think about and internalize. And yeah, there are definitely people out there for sure. You know, one of the uh,
1: books that I, I often kind of reference and come back to is, uh, is The Alliance by Reed Hoffman. And, you know, I, I think it was so ahead of its time in terms of really just articulating and framing the relationship between uh, an employee and an employer and kind of mutual value add and, and clear expectations and understanding. Uh, and the concept of you know tour of duty, which I know is something LinkedIn has been uh and is kind of rooted in how you know LinkedIn has grown and developed and, and retained um staff uh above levels that I think we'd see in other companies because people know that they're gonna be, a, you know, in a role, it's gonna be two to three years, then they're gonna be able to move into a different role, a different team. A different thing altogether, perhaps, or perhaps leave the organization. Maybe there's not the right thing that aligns with what they want. And I'm curious to get your perspective, like how did because there was so much internal movement and mobility with the tour of duty program at LinkedIn, how did that impact how you recruited, right? Like how you evaluated where you'd bring in outside or external talent, you know, versus perhaps bringing somebody in internally from another team for a tour in the role.
0: Some of the the sort of rhythm of the HR business would address some of that. So there's like some systemic um, processes, things like talent review. So we could say, all right, you know, a bunch of us in a room with nobody, your manager knows that Lars wants to move into what biz ops from recruiting or whatever it is. Um, So some of it is very intentional and we'll and planful so we can then be like all right he's gonna he's gonna vacate his had a recruiting job he's gonna move in over here or whatever it might be we're gonna be intentional about uh making sure we move people in the, the right ways and not to sort of put any drag on the on the system or drag on the business um so so that's one i mean that's when it works kind of I- ideally i don't know if it was more times than not but plenty of times it was done seemingly last minute, like maybe people knew and all of a sudden they're springing, Lars moving over here in three weeks. Like, what What, what are you talking about? Um, but it, ne- it never really created a huge snag for for recruiting, actually. Kind of on the flip side, the benefit was to go talk about it with candidates. I mean, they would be really excited about the idea of like, oh, really? I could, I could actually go from sales into recruiting or I could go from engineering into product or there's numerous examples of people that, had a career, you know, pretty clear career plan, who might've said, I wanna be, you know, a CEO even. Uh, And, you know, they got feedback like, all right, you're in the revenue business, you're in the sales business, you gotta go work in product for a while. You gotta go be a, take a step back or two steps back for tour duty there. And then, you know, when you're done with that, you know, we can see if we can position you with even better experience. But if you wanna be a CEO, you got to get that type of experience. So it was a really interesting culture that valued those types of career moves, which I think are super inspiring. You know, people, senior people that took you know def- step two steps backwards, uh, at least optically, what that looked like, but it has ended up you know propelling them forward in a in a huge way. So I, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I sort of don't hear enough companies talking about the concept, frankly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know,
1: I I can't, I can't sit here on the spot and name, you know, another company or two companies that that even embrace that. So I'd like to see more of that, especially in this environment now, where like obviously talent is much more fluid. Uh, It's a lot harder to retain people. I think if they know that they've got. Uh, those opportunities, and they know that you know if you're really being thoughtful in planning of your career, like I want to be a CEO. Well, you need these different types of skill sets to be able to do that, and and you're able to do that with one company. And maybe you know, you're not going to move into the CEO role of that company necessarily, but you can get all the skills that you need to then find that role elsewhere and be a part of now that kind of LinkedIn alumni network. Um, I think that's huge. So, um, you know, last year after uh, you know 11 years at LinkedIn, uh, you yourself left. You moved over to Y Combinator. Um, there's there's been a lot of movement I've seen from the kind of talent and people in house side to the venture side uh, over the last year. I think you're one of maybe four or five friends that have have made that move. Like, what was your what was your why? Like, what what compelled you to kind of make that
0: switch? I knew for you know a few couple few years that I wanted to learn more about the venture world. I had personal interest in doing like angel investing. So I was just generally interested in, in that topic, but also really wanted to understand how the venture world operated and, and literally how it functions and how, how the players in that world work. And I had a bunch of friends that were talent partners. So I'd spend a, a bunch of time with them over the years. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do next. And my thinking was, I've had this unbelievable run at LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of stuff uh, at various stages I feel like I've got a lot to offer and I felt like helping more than one company started to get really interesting and working directly with founders. Like, I mean, this this morning was on the, the phone with founders. Yesterday was on the phone with founders. So that was super intriguing to me as well. So this was imparting my knowledge to these companies and not even so much as the talent teams at these companies, albeit I do that, but it's helping founders become great talent leaders and become great recruiters. So in all the bumps and bruises I got along the way in my experience and and the wins, I've just been super excited to be like, let me tell you the disaster that I lived through, like trying to tackle that problem. It wasn't that easy. Or like, hey, there is an easy solution to what you're trying to tackle. Let me tell you what that is. So there was a lot of uh, draw to working with more than one company, working with founders, and then kind of intellectually getting an understanding of um, how venture works. And I definitely get that sort of up close, I mean YC is an incredible place with incredible people. So I feel like it's just a giant learning experience at the same time. Hey
1: everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to the new Amplify Accelerator platform. The Amplify and redefining HR ecosystem have evolved quite a bit over the last two years, starting with a podcast, growing to a book, and now leading to a full platform aimed at developing and supporting the next generation of Chief People Officers. You know, the mission of Amplify is accelerating innovation at scale, and we now do that through HR executive search services, cohort courses, communities, jobs, and media. includes the podcast and the book so you can check all of this out at amplifytalent.com and now back to the show yeah i mean i'm curious like what is that transition like for you you know you go from a a role in a company you know with a team you know and, and obviously it's a large global growing organization uh but you know you 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 have a finite number of you know real kind of stakeholders that you're working with closely uh, you know, you have a clear kind of understanding of uh, of what the expectations are for your team from a headcount and growth standpoint. Right. You just it's, it's a world, you know, really well to a different world where now you have dozens of stakeholders uh, all with different problems they're trying to solve, all with different levels of urgency, probably all quite high. Uh, so you're now managing kind of a different range of constituents and stakeholders and expectations like. How did you manage that transition? I think that's probably the the biggest that that initial transition to that dynamic is probably the biggest thing that people moving from corporate to venture have to learn to adapt to. So what um what did you find in making that transition?
0: It's a good it's a good question. I'd bucket the things I do into advising and consulting, straight up search work, um and then building a community of top talent who can become advisors and in a future pipeline to the to our portfolio companies, it's probably those three things. Uh, at the stages, so, so most of the time, I'm helping companies that are like Series B. They don't have complete executive teams. They definitely have key leadership roles that need to be filled. They may not even have a talent team yet. You know, the, the most common thing in a in a founder's life is that their time is so constrained. So, you're if I've got two minutes with you to guide you and coach you, I better maximize that time. It's not the type of thing like, Lars, let me throw some, let me throw a half hour on the calendar next week, we're gonna talk about sourcing. Uh-uh. It just, you know, not there's no theoretical training that people have the time for nor necessarily even need or want. So one, it's like sort of the way you talk and the way you relate to founders is is different. Um you know, the good news as well is like some of them have experienced doing this, some don't. So even just like the core basic things that you've learned in recruiting, if you're good at those things and parting those things, uh, you know, is is super important. In terms of like balancing all this stuff, constant prioritization. You know, we have a couple of prioritization meetings a week on the talent team, work with our partners to understand like, you know, what are we really going to do? What's above the line? I give feedback. I feel like I'm not going to deliver well if I take on this much. Maybe I take on this much. Here's the issue with this. I feel like I should back off of working with that uh, company because they're already in decent shape. Constant, constant, constant communication. I mean, the, in the VC world, the, a good talent team is such an important piece uh, of, one, we make an investment in a company, we have a vested interest in putting the best leadership team in that company to get them ready for the next phase, phase of growth. Also, in doing that really, really well, we build a great reputation, which I think we have on the, the YC talent team, it's attra- it's attractive for founders. Hey, I've you know some of the other founders told me you guys are doing great work. You did you know you filled this job, you filled that job, you trained them on this, whatever it might be. That puts us in a good spot for future rounds of investment to lead future rounds of investment and that sort of thing. Now that that makes a lot of sense, and
1: I think you know one of the things that I'd love to get your perspective on, especially given the, those types of conversations you're having, is you know the the trend that we've been seeing for a couple of years, but certainly now is you know companies are investing in ahead of people much earlier than they had in the past you know even at the the a stage in some cases even you know usually not c but you know a certainly by b um they realize that you need to have that you know that person kind of thinking about the long-term scalability of the people infrastructure of the business so that you know when you go from uh you know zero to 50 and then 50 to 500 you're able to do that you're not you know kind of Operating off Excel spreadsheets and band-aids, like we had in the past, and then have to rip all of that out and put everything back in, which is hugely disruptive. Um, And so, lots of companies are hiring uh, ahead of people earlier, um, maybe hiring ahead of people for the first time. I think a lot of the you know the audience um, of redefining HR are people maybe moving into those roles. And so, I'd love to get your perspective. Like, you know, you work with a lot of you know even first and second time founders. What advice do you have for people leaders who are moving into those head of people seats um, to kind of, you know, really uh, establish, uh, understand and establish a strong relationship and partnership
0: uh, with their CEOs? It's a good question. And yes, a lot of people are doing it sort of, you know, earlier and earlier. I would go get advice from people who have been through it. Um, like there's a few people I know that, you know, there's, there's one woman who's, who's done tremendous work over the past, whatever, 10 years. But she's always been like, Brent, I'm the person who takes company from like a hundred to a thousand. That's what I do. Um, like someone like that is just a wealth of knowledge about what the realities are when you step in in like a zero to one type environment or like you step in and there's nothing or step in is just a handful of people. Um, so one, it's sort of like get sober and get real about what the job entails, like emotionally, what does it mean in terms of actually the work that needs to happen, the type of things you do, because you want to make sure that, you know, I've talked to some folks who have a little bit, you know, their later stage or bigger company folks who are really amazing at that stage. You know, they're really amazing. They, they can, they can set strategy. They can move a a group in a certain direction on an HR plan that may have no applicability when you're 20, 20 people, 25 people. Um, So one is to get really, really, really clear. Second is to, to understand the work that, that needs to get, get done. And then if you're considering those jobs demand that you spend a lot of time with founders, multiple, multiple hours with the founders, because they're, you're going to be attached at the hip with that person. It's going to be a lot of victories, a lot of hard work, but understanding how that person thinks, truly how they view the, the talent and HR function is going to be paramount. And if you have any questions about whether there's alignment there for you, Probably walk away, I would say, because the the work's too hard. I mean, it's difficult, difficult. It's very rewarding work to be in in company building, but it's hard. Um, And you got to feel like that founder and you have shorthands. So, you know, quick text to understand what each other is trying to get done. uh, Calls whenever you need to, giving you air cover where it's necessary, making sure that that person will take direction from you as an HR leader to kind of represent the company in the right way and frankly say the right things at the right times. But if you don't have that, I mean, that goes for bigger companies too, but definitely in a startup, you'll be miserable. So I think that relationship obviously is key and just demand the time to to sit down and and spend getting to know each other as a person and also as a leader. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And so I hope, uh, you know,
1: viewers and listeners, take that to heart. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, kind of something you said around like, how CEOs um, think about talent and people ops and recruiting. And I think early stage startups, uh, they tend to be, you know, very focused obviously on recruiting, uh, you know, key hires, growth is essential. that stage but as we think about you know the the landscape of modern hr today whether it's like how we think about diversity equity inclusion how we think about workplace flexibility hybrid structures employee experience right i think all of the all of these kind of uh you know newer concepts of hr and like how we prioritize our work and think about our work does that does that resonate with them are they thinking about that like what, what has been your experience when you have conversations about, you know, broader people ops outside of recruiting.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really good question it's an, it's an interesting observation too in terms of like what what's happening. All of the founders I work with think about talent and people strategically, I would say. They know that their culture is sort of like an accelerator for all that stuff, but they may not have experience or someone advising, coaching them, guiding on the things you just described. So I would say, you know, if you're out there thinking of thinking about one of these jobs to be head of people at a hundred person company, 50 person company, do what we talked about. Um, But also see if you can glean in that kind of where the person's head is related to these topics or even like do some coaching while you're interviewing them to see how they respond to it. I mean, every founder of. I'm spending time with. It's clear to me they're. I don't know the right analogy. Is they're like a blank canvas on some of these topics. Like they want to do this work. They want it to be filled in. Um, so it's it's top of mind for people. And the big thing on their mind is like obviously there's execution, execution, execution. These companies need to thrive and survive and scale. So it's all about execution and delivery. And they know that I want this to be the most amazing place to work on the planet. Period. So they're wide open to being coached on this stuff. It's just they they don't know what they don't know. And some of them, it's like the first, some of it's the first job, some of it's the first company they've founded. So, you know, I think you got to go in assuming that there's even things that you might think are basic as an HR person, they'll eat it up. So, I mean, that that, that bodes well for you know HR leaders out there that are steeped and really know these topics well and are passionate about them. You know, you, that, that's a great example of like how you can influence. You can shape you hear like these comments like, oh, you can come in HR and shape the culture. Yeah, you can in those situations where you come in and you're coaching a founder on diverse diversity or, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, it could be any topic related to HR. We want to have the best performance review process anywhere on the planet. Here's what that looks like. Nine out of 10 times that founder is going to be like, that's awesome. Go do it. So I would say you know there's there's a lack of knowledge just based on the fact that these founders may not have had those experiences. Maybe they haven't lived through those.
1: Well, Brendan, I appreciate you you know sharing your journey from uh, from LinkedIn to Y Combinator and all the insights you've gained along the way. Uh, we end every episode with a lightning round just to help the. Uh, viewers, uh, learn a little bit more about you. So, uh, you ready to jump in? Let's do it. All right, man. I'm checking out your Spotify list. Uh, who am I going to learn? Are the top three artists that are in frequent rotation stuff that's in
0: kind of heavy rotation? Phoebe Bridges, I'm a big fan of. This is kind of electronic artist called Jimmy Stack, which I who I really really like, and then anything produced by DJ Premier.
1: I'm not to check out uh, DJ Premier and you and you. I know you play guitar as well. So I'm also going to have to uh, check out some of your jams. You've been posting those I on the other thing so. that's in
0: heavy rotation is DJ Blue, which is I've got an album out there. So go listen to DJ Blue on oh, both hands. Right. So yeah. Hey,
1: I had no idea. Yeah. Now I will definitely be checking out DJ Blue. That's awesome. Uh, okay. We're going to switch to uh, the screen. Uh, what, is, what was your latest binge uh,
0: watch on, you know, Netflix, Amazon, what, whatever streaming service you prefer? One that I get into, I mean, it's, it's not new, but Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one that I, I get uh, heavily into. And then You was another one I get into.
1: Um, all right. We're shifting careers. Uh, you can't work. I'm taking venture off the table now as well. You can't work in recruiting or venture. Uh, what would you be doing? I'd be making music. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're already doing it. Okay, you know what? I, I take that back. I'm taking that off the table, too, because you're table. already doing that. This has to be, like, a thing that you're not, like, maybe something you're always like, hey, it would be cool to do that, but you haven't actually done that. So, since you actually have an album, that counts as being a musician. All right, so I'm That's that. off the
0: table. Probably. I mean, I had interest early on in going into psychology, and, you know, I I've, I've, I've consider myself a pretty compassionate person, and sort of helping people is, is really, really important to me, so... If I wasn't doing music or doing what I'm doing now, that might be interesting to, to pursue that as a path.
1: And uh, last question for you. Who is
0: one HR leader who you admire and why? Pat Waters. Yeah, kind of without hesitation, really. Any interaction I have with her in a one-on-one or any, any just work-related thing, she made me see things differently, uh, gave me frameworks and sort of mental models to, to do great work and how to think about navigating. Uh, so she has been invaluable there. Um, and I I put a little post out there. I mean, there was a time where you know she you know we're talking about something and we're just tackling something difficult, and she said, "Brendan, I won't let you fail." Um, and it just it was the most freeing thing that that someone has said to me in, in that seat as a manager. And then the team that she led, we all adopted this whole idea of we won't let each other fail. Um, so there's stuff like, and she's just awesome. She's fun. She's fantastic. She's a good human being. But she's you know she helped me immensely career-wise. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, she's phenomenal. So um, it's cool to hear those personal uh, anecdotes. And I love that notion of rallying around the idea that uh, collectively we won't let each other fail. So, um, Brendan, man, it's been it's been fun. I appreciate you making time to come on the uh, podcast, sharing your story. And um, thanks so much for uh, letting us all tap into your wisdom.
0: Thanks for the invite, Lars.
1: I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.